Welcome to Across the Pond, Marketing Transformed, a podcast that explores ways to transform your business and marketing strategy. Whether you're a rising star, entrepreneur, or experienced professional, a show packed with stories to inspire success and build a growth mindset for you and your company. Featuring global brand CMOs, transformation experts, and business founders, your co-hosts, Chris Lawson in London, UK, and Samuel Moni across the pond in Philadelphia, USA. Welcome everyone to episode 10 of Across the Pond, Marketing Transformed. My name's Chris Lawson, I'm in London town, and I'm joined in Philadelphia by Samuel Moni. Say hello, Sam. Hey, Chris, how are you? How's it going this week? Yeah, very good, thanks. Number 10, that's amazing, we're in double figures now. Feels like a birthday. Not not Downing Street. Sorry, that's my prediction that's coming out. For, for those listeners across the pond, that is where that's the equivalent of the White House. Ten yeah, Downing Street. Yeah. I don't think anyone wants to be there at the moment, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, let's let's not talk talk politics on this show. I think um, that will probably get both of us down. So let's yeah, let's move yeah, on to completely. to the topic of the show. Good. All right. So this week's show, we're going to be talking about the challenges of growth, uh, how to sustain it in the face of blockages. I thought we had a really good show last week um, talking about the growth plan itself. Uh, we'd be talking about what we've been able to do about it, what organizational drivers push you to making growth an imperative, be it the skills, techniques and behaviors and the actions you have to have in your armory today to ensure that you can cope with unforeseen challenges. I mean, just to recap, in its simplest form, think of growth as what we need to do to change customer behavior in order to achieve our goals, where we will gain volume from, and and what is true about our brand, our proposition that will make customers choose us, and, and how does that manifest itself. That that sound about right, Sam? Yeah, those, those are the three really simple nuggets to take away in terms of what we're trying to achieve. And if I wanted to talk a bit more, I think we could build on that a bit further in terms of how to get there and how to do it. So one of the fundamental steps would be upon those three is doing a holistic opportunity assessment. So where are we right now? Where we where do we need to be in the future? Making sure there is a good understanding of that. Defining the future state and vision. There's a lot of building upon what our consumers want, what our shoppers want, what our customers want, what our community values over time, and making sure we're not myopic and just stuck on today. We're also thinking about the long-term and short-term strategies and actions that go with that. A lot of ideation happens when you come to thinking about this. There's so many things to do with consumer trends, product design, competition, just to make sure the growth platforms that we're coming up with and then quantify them. So then the next thing is scorecarding and prioritizing. From all of what I've just described, you tend to get a lot of volume, a lot of of opportunity. So you've got to have a really robust and a really ruthless way of streamlining and simplifying on what you're actually going to go after and avoiding the small and perhaps minute incremental uh, opportunities and going for things which are bigger. And then assembling the right team. I've talked about team and culture before. Those are all critical foundations to actually drive growth and make sure you're set up for success. You need really a, a strong culture of a shared agenda between your team members and you've got to have a clear, simple view of what the future state is going to be, which I mentioned before. But all of those come together to drive growth. Yeah, and I, and I think you're right. But but once you're once you're on that growth curve, then you sort of you see a, a bump upwards. Your sales have seen a spike, but 
then what goes wrong? I mean, quite often you can see sales drop off. You can see it become harder to achieve targets for following week and and why and how do you tackle that? that that's the, the nuggets that we want to try and get to mm-hmm. this week. Well, first of all, you have to check that a sales spike is real, not just because you are buying share. That relationship between enjoying the product versus greater visibility and how much you've spent on getting greater visibility is an important one. You want to know that when you stop chucking pounds or dollars at it, that the product satisfaction remains and that you can sustain growth. That, that would be my first point. Secondly, mm-hmm. is about managing the increased demand effectively, making sure that you've scaled up the support services, customer care, bandwidth, stock management, whatever it is. That's, um, but but right. just make sure that you're not seeing an initial spike uh, due to mm-hmm. actually sort of people wanting more of your products. And because you're not able to cope with demand effectively, you're then starting to see that drop off. So, so they're, they're two fundamental ones. But other blockages can be that handover from marketing to sales or from new product development to existing product development. Mm-hmm. I think we've all been in a situation where we've believed that we've set up everything right and we're now passing it off onto another team and it's like right over to you. And occasionally you might think well, that's not quite how I thought I would be implementing it. Um, and therefore that handover is incredibly important, that baton change. Uh, Cash flow, mm-hmm. again, another blockage. You yeah. can find yourself where you've got an initial spike, you've put the money behind it, um, and you're not getting revenues in fast enough, and therefore you take your foot off the pedal, and then you sort of see a, a drive down from that as well. Um, I think there's also quite often a lag as well, where what you have put in place doesn't seem to be having an impact. And and that can be measured over days or months or years where you think, I've I've done the heavy lifting, I've put all the stuff that you talked about in place, but but I'm not seeing the momentum carry forward. And and I think we have to be aware about that, and we'll talk a bit more about that. Another blockage, making uh, making sure you don't get distracted by the next shiny thing. Um, Quite often, you can be busy putting a plan in place for a product or a service, and no sooner have you done that and you're seeing an uptick in sales, then your direction from your CEO or your CMO is, right, I want you to focus your time on that, come off this and look at something else. Mm -hmm. Um, We all know that these things take longer to bed down than they possibly can. the final one, I think, is about growing sales at your desired margin as well. Again, that relates yeah. to how much money you're going to be putting into the, the marketing budget. But quite often, sustaining that growth at a margin that is accept- acceptable to the business means that you can right. sometimes find yourself sort of lagging behind where you want to be. Yeah, I just... I just it just kind of as you're talking there brings me back to an, a, piece, a place of time in my career where I was working on a business I was in Germany and it I had to really roll up my sleeves and fix a bad situation that was kind of getting out of hand and getting worse and the, the whole point you made about margin was was the classic one in that in that situation where inherited a bit of a fiasco so again the points you were talking about you know handing over and from sales and marketing and other functions so the fiasco was we'd moved to a new plant which was all great it was supposed to give us some efficiencies save us money and increase capacity well we actually got reduced capacity increased cost of goods and um, production chaos so that was not fun and it was a 
European role that I was responsible for. So imagine dealing with multiple countries, multiple markets, multiple retailers who are all really unhappy with not getting their product on time. And so I had to really rethink about how we were going to A, deliver the business outcome, but also how we were going to actually drive the growth. And it was a change in business strategy that we had to more... Um, aggressively go after the margin and actually meant being more brave in terms of how we did that. So it was actually pushing for the higher end pieces of the portfolio and letting go of this, the lower low margin, the lower sales um, area of the business and focusing elsewhere. So we had to be brave in terms of, okay, this is how we're going to get there. Bring along the creative partners who had to come up with communication and marketing messaging that could actually appeal to consumers, which meant they had more say in challenging the brief and challenging the approach. And ultimately, there's actually a lot more risk. So as I'm listening to to this approach, there could be actually more risk that you have to take on board. But it was done with a more rigorous, rigorous analysis of the opportunities and essentially being bolder in the resource allocation in going about it. And so we were perhaps more timid in hindsight than we had been in deciding where we are going to invest, where we are going to focus and where we're not. So all of that perfect storm of the problems, the snafu and the, the crisis actually led to a better outcome. And ultimately, we managed to fulfill the key needs of our key customers, deliver growth and also deliver a margin improvement to commit to, to deliver the financial commitments we had at the end of the year. So it's not necessarily a linear straight path. There's a number of moving pieces, but you've really got to have a, a strong cross-functional team to pull it together and actually figure out how you're going to get from here to there. So that was, I think, for me, an important aspect of how you think about it and the... the yeah, and how I you learn you, as well. Yeah. Yeah, how you learn through it and the approach and philosophy to make it happen because you could, in 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 theory, sort of crumble un, under the weight of all those challenges. But isn't that fascinating how much of that is about process as well? Um, yeah. I think I think we underestimate that, especially in a in a period of growth where we don't have the processes set up. Um, quite often we're we're so focused on can we just sort of see an uh, see a movement upwards that we haven't really thought about how do we sustain that. Um, and, and rightly so, we have to be focused on uh, growth because the audience is so quick to judge these days. Uh, a trust pilot review or trip advisor review can be around forever. And and I think for some seasonal businesses in e-com, being set up 24-7 with flexible workforce is essential to take advantage while you can. Um, but again, those reviews are incredibly impactful. And and as, as parcels get delayed and tempers get frayed, the public can become even less forgiving. So you've got to make sure the growth is sustainable and that you can actually deliver on it. Mm. That's why I'm actually quite fascinated by a lot of the sort of tech-orientated SaaS businesses, the B2B offerings, as they do so well because the offering is so scalable. Um, as long once they sort out the customer service for ten, you're you're almost pretty confident that they can handle that, whether that's a hundred, a million, or or five million. Uh, they seem to do that very well. I think, that, um, and that again increases their valuation because I think that's recognised. But if you are a people service or a product uh, or, or product business, it's much more difficult as it's not so scalable. But sometimes your strength can be your weakness, and and sometimes your weakness can be your strength as well. That human fallibility and what you do to put it right 
is what really counts. And I think um, if I look back at sort of some of my career around Virgin and uh, when I was sort of CMO there, there was a, an example, one of, the, um, one of the, the customers had rung up, complained that they hadn't received their case of wine, um, delivery company had let them down. Uh, we made sure that we saw every single delivery as part of what we provided. It wasn't sort of passing it off to the, the um, company. And it, it turned out in conversation that this person lived in the same uh, town as one of the wine advisor's uh, parents. He was going down at the weekend. So he thought the best thing to do would be to surprise them on the doorstep by bringing their case of wine direct to them. And uh, can you imagine that when someone you've been talking to yeah. on the phone and just turns up and goes, look, I wanted to make sure it actually delivered, uh, arrived, so I've mm -hmm. delivered it myself. Yeah, And, and that is, I think, a, a great example of how you turn a, um, a problem actually into a real opportunity. Yeah, we've all got examples of how we do that. And I think as businesses, as entrepreneurs, as, as marketers, we've always got to focus on the going that extra mile and delighting the consumer. And there's so many different ways we can do that. I remember seeing someone... I was um, just searching on online and saw someone write write a blog post about one of one of my brands, and it was just it was it was a bit <laughs> um, weird. They they talked about the brand and someone had left like an old product on their doorstep. So I, I don't know if someone in the neighborhood had just left an old this is like a vacuum cleaner left it on a doorstep. It, it was broken and it wasn't working. And they was like, well, who would do that? And so then my response was actually to send them a brand new product, which was obviously working under my brand. And so this is all about building your brand building relationships trying to surprise and delight to like um, consumers and they were completely shocked that a the brand had listened b they'd actually done something about it and c it was actually something that they needed and the 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 shared media the shared um social posts gained a bit of, tr of traction amongst her her family and friends and it went it went a bit broader than that and all it was is a simple taking action when you see someone talk about your product or talk about your brand perhaps in a negative perhaps in a positive but not letting that um sort of pass you by and delight to surprise and, and it doesn't really matter as long as it's authentic does it that that's, the, yeah, that's absolutely the there i think uh, surprise and delight is 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 critical, but doing it in an authentic way. And we've seen in in recent times there's a story which is actually um, carried across the pond, and it's getting a lot of media attraction about a plumber who had in the UK, I think in Burnley, up in the north of England, who had been called out to help. Um, fix um, a, a boiler or some some um, appliance in a, in a lady's home who was slightly older. And when he submitted the invoice, he put you know, zero pounds for the the, uh, the equipment, zero pounds for time, zero time, you know, for labor, zero for all the um, the pieces and um, the, you know, the, the tools and everything, everything. So basically it was a zero, zero, zero pound invoice. And that story has traveled the globe and now i'm sure he's getting phone calls off the hook for his services and his um what he does simply by just doing um doing something good doing the right thing and a kind gesture and actually and just uh, for me that's just a heartwarming way but just another example of how you can impact people and you can impact um, the trajectory of your business and your brand by by be doing something authentic and in, in a genuine way and people can will respond to that favorably yeah i mean it, it is heartwarming to see that story's got to the states i'm i'm very pleased about that uh, it's uh i think i think he's also now looking at, at how he can set a plumbing service up for the over 85s or something like that where it's wow. uh, sort of a, a, an altruistic ensuring that they don't have to pay yep. for any of their sort of plumbing services and uh, you know 
again, great to see. But you come back to this fact that it's got to be authentic. It's got to be with purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, it isn't some marketing gimmick. As soon as you start doing it, I mean, I, I think we're all getting slightly tired of every single time you have a phone call or you visit a website, go, we're really interested in your feedback because now it just looks mm-hmm. a bit vanilla. Every, everywhere is doing it and you're yeah. thinking you're not really because you asked me about two days ago and you haven't even realized <laughs> that i gave you that feedback then so so i think you've got to come back to those human examples which technology can't do so that that has to be about turning that weakness into the strength i think yeah so so as we think about it chris you know we were talk we kicked off talking about sustaining growth so how do you actually <laughs> do it how do you go about yeah, it? yeah I, I, I think The first thing is that on the ground, I think it's about a constant temperature check and pre-planning. Three points, Sam, I think. Uh, First one is, as I said, make sure that you're doing a a scalable and you know your limits. Uh, Quite often, um, people find themselves and go, well, stock's running out or we can only get four customer service staff, not eight, or a variety of different things, or the servers won't cope with the Mm -hmm. demand. So make sure you know your limits. Uh, Take the temperature of your customers consistently and put it right. Don't store up Mm -hmm. trouble as it will be harder to get momentum. So if something's wrong, Deal with it in that moment, yeah. and if and have that escalation process. Yeah, I think that you need to almost approach it like a an agile method of working, where you're looking at customer complaints and you're saying, how do we prioritize these, and how do you drive it up? And then the third one is act while you can and make sure you seize the day. If you're an enterprise, you have to be able to act fast, even if your normal planning cycle is two years. If you are seeing an opportunity where the growth is happening now and be it you've you've managed to get some viral impact or it's just become in vogue again, Mm -hmm. you've got to take advantage of it. And, and that is about ripping up the rule book and making sure that you do that. Um, mm-hmm. I bet you've got a few examples of that in your in your um, time as well. well. Well, yeah. And as you're talking there, though, Chris, and my mind was going to the the sad thing that I'm seeing in the industry right now. And more and more, everything we've talked about has been from the marketing perspective. And more and more, we're actually seeing that role under threat and seeing a risk that the the marketing officer, the marketing role is actually becoming more obsolete. The trend in executive suites these days is replacing the chief marketing officer position and replacing it with this pesky new role (laughs) called the chief growth officer who oversees both sales and marketing, MarTech and other perceived growth growth drivers. So your R&D product and other parts of the value chain. And so will the CMO be around in five years? I'm, I'm really concerned that it's going to be replaced by the chief, um, chief growth officer. And think of the role of a marketer's growth and transformation, which really means that you've got to design your job around three things, making sure that you win with employees and skilling and upskilling them and making sure that they actually have the right skills for today. Customer and consumer trust. So being strategically and competitively, competitively fit with your consumers, but also the customers who you may sell to and show shoppers who actually ultimately buy, and then a lot of stakeholder management. You've got to make sure that you have strong interpersonal relationships with your key internal stakeholders. You've also got to make sure that you have the right processes in place to support your marketing technology and marketing culture. And so a lot of those elements are critical for the mm. for the CMO to own to drive successful outcomes. But anyway, Chris, I've been ranting about the chief growth officer. No, no, it's a, it's a, it's a really good point. But I think... I think um, 
I wouldn't worry too much, Sam. I think that actually when you look at it, um, you know, we're, we're sort of the term, the term now gen, generally tends to be CMO. Two or three years ago, it was all about customer experience directors. Two years before that, it was all about multi-channel marketing directors. Um, then there was a bit of a challenge from product directors and how much would be run out of product management versus marketing. And before that, it was, you know, are you a digital marketing director or do you work on the core business? And I, and I think that the bottom line is that one thing marketing does a lot and not necessarily for its own for its good i think is rebrand its its job but ultimately i think you have to ride for different ways but the the ocean doesn't really change you know head of growth growth hackers growth um you know the the uh, growth mm-hmm. officer it does allow an organization to focus and everyone to align behind it and and if that playing field is to be reset um then it's it's not shouldn't be a shoe in for the marketing director. I think there there will be other um, skilled disciplines like a product director, for example, um, that would be able to do that. And I think that that's fine. I think that healthy competition is fine. But I do think sometimes we can find that we're reinventing some of the roles. Ultimately, if it's about growth and it's about focusing on the MarTech, the sales and the marketing mm-hmm. um, and those perceived growth drivers, as you, as you articulated, I would want my sort of CMO to, to be making sure that they were top of a pile of that. And, and relevant and and not stood still. It, it relates back to a couple of things that we were saying about before. Um, make sure that you, we're demonstrating resilience, adaptability, and agility. Um, yeah, marketing used to have their own territory, but so did sales and so did tech. And I think that's a time long go, gone now. At the moment, it's much more about collaborative working. Um, there's a lot of merging between um, product management, sales, marketing, and the roles shift all the time. So I wouldn't worry too much. I think I think this um, podcast isn't going to be redundant mm-hmm. for a f- few years yet. Yeah, I, as I, again, listening into you, I was thinking more and more about what does it mean for a marketer? What should the marketer be driving and striving for? And I've got this big okay. push for the modern marketing P&L. And as you were describing there, what they should be focused on, I think marketers should be equally adamant and advocating in, in moving the, the conversation forward and, and building the function and the, the organization for future growth. And the modern marketing P&L has elements of volume. So making sure you drive the volume and in, in newer modern ways, which could be the online shoppability or the, the non-branded share of voice that your, that your brand has versus um, other brands. Engagement is a huge part of what the P&L should be. Again, this may not be a typical traditional financial P&L, but engagement means what's your, your content, your return on content, your customer relationship management processes and work streams. Advocacy is, again, another key element of the modern P&L in terms of what's your brand health, your net promoter score and customer sentiment. All of those things will drive your business result, drive your revenue. And we've used the word capabilities, but definitely your your marketing technology, your consumer journey, the competitive fitness you have in terms of having the right tech in the right place are all key elements of doing marketing today. So yes, I would still say the marketer needs to define and own what a modern marketing P&L is to ensure that that marketing role is elevated and does have a seat at the big table, but also drives the business and financial agenda. So, so how, how, how do they achieve it then, Sam? What, what do you think, from looking at it through your lens, what, what do they need to do? 
Well, the key question I keep coming back to is, does your company invest in marketing capabilities up front? And capabilities from the perspective of actually the staff, the technology, the infrastructure, the organization. But do they really value investing in people, investing in building the organization? I think the organization needs to ensure that a lot of those those roles or those um, those functions I talked about, those areas, have career pathways within the organization as well. So that you see marketing as more than just advertising and communication. You actually see it as the technology. You see it as the customer relationship and the uh, and the, the data-driven roles. You see it as the brand building roles, but also you see it as a revenue generation um, opportunities as well. So does your organization re- invest marketing capabilities from developing the people, but also building the infrastructure to ensure that you're fit for the fit for today and also fit for the future. Yeah, I, I, I get that. I get that. I think, let me give you a scenario though, because coming back to our topic around sort of growth and blockages, um, if I'm a CEO worried about how sales have dropped off last week and our cash flow can't sustain it for much longer, it's difficult to think about planning for the future and it's difficult i think we've all been in that situation where we've seen training budgets as almost one of the first things to go and certainly personal development so how can we do what we've what you've talked about quickly cost effectively as part of the day job whilst we're focusing on getting the growth in you know you don't you don't want to end up being part of a problem you don't want to end up being part of those blockages that we were talking about so Sam, how many times have you seen training cancelled or delayed mm. when a company is under pressure? So, so how how do you manage that? How do you manage both of those successfully? Well, it's the the key thing is to remember that it's training is not just for the sake of learning in a vacuum. It's actually to think better. Mm. It's not just theory. It's actually designed for practice. And who wouldn't want to invest in that? Understanding what programmatic means, for example, actually means you're better at briefing, but also deciding on the responses that you're going to give back to your agency. So you're being a better partner if you actually understand what that means or understanding the right metrics to inform creative choices or marketing choices to turning things on or off or implementing new creative that will work even better. Not deciding upfront based on what the CMO prefers, you know, and the complacency of set it and forget it marketing. And so the critical thing is, it's the investment in, in growing your business today and driving your business results, not um, something that is deemed a luxury or a you know a sidebar when we have time or when we can when we can sort of get to it. Yeah, fair enough. I buy that absolutely. So, Chris, bringing it back to the blockages, how do we seriously remove them? Talk to, you know talk to your boss and make it happen. How have you actually done it in real well, life? Yeah, it's a million dollar question, and it is the subject of a podcast. So we so we we better try and answer it. But but for me, it has to be about focusing on that common goal, that collaboration with your tech team and your sales team um, and uh, your sort of business ops team and your customer services team. You want them all believing in not just seeing the graph go up, but seeing customer satisfaction stay um, incredibly high. I think unless you really focus on customer satisfaction, then sooner or later you're going you're gonna to have a problem. So the first thing that I try and do is make sure that we're all focused on that so that you can have a good conversation. Uh, because if you're seeing stuff that's stopping you, processes not working, tech not being delivered on time, lack of marketing budget, you want to be able to make sure that everyone is speaking the same language. That's the first thing. Mm-hmm. The second thing is it has to be about imperative. 
this this is problems that cannot wait a day, a week, a month. And and I think sometimes we forget that businesses are driven by those commercial measures. Now, now fair enough, you might well be in a startup or a private equity backed organization which has said you've got a runway of a year or 18 months and therefore as long as we see momentum you're fine. But but ultimately that changes. So if unless you get that discipline where you're looking at those commercials on a day in, day out basis, then I think that you're going to be uh, screwed at some point in the future. So therefore, making sure that you've got a commercial discipline where you're looking at the, the data and you're understanding what you're going to do as a result of it, I think is the, the two steps that I would say to, to unblock the blockages. And, and the final one is, it's about being prepared for the unexpected. Most of the time, you ca- this isn't just part of a playbook. And therefore, you have to be adaptable, you have to be resilient. And as you talked so um, well about in terms of the evolving skills that are required, whether we call it a um, growth officer or, or, or what we may well do in the future. The bottom line is, it's about how do you understand the, the marketing tech stack? How do you make sure you've got a really, really strong understanding of the capabilities? And how do you bring those influencing skills to bear so that you've got all of the organization in a matrix structure working for you? So, so that that's what I would say, Sam. Any you think I've missed there? No, I think you, you've been quite comprehensive in in covering the, the key areas, and thank you for bringing it back to the the show topic that we kicked off with. <laughs> that's all right. So, look, Sam, that's the time. Um, yeah, time is getting on. We we like to try and keep this podcast under the twenty five minutes. Make sure they fit into your commute. So, what, why don't you give us three key takeouts and reflections of this session? Sure. So, I'd say the first one is. To be and bring a solution focused in terms of customer satisfaction, centricity, and also the adaptability and resilience that is required to succeed in this role. I'd say the second one is we discussed whether the CMO will or won't survive. And I think we conclude actually the CMO will survive. Yes, there's a chief growth officer out there, but the CMO role is still critical and they've got to be able to blend the old school, but also bring the new school. And then the third thing I would leave you with is that idea of the marketing P&L of the future. Yes, there are the classic sales and financial drivers, but you've also got to think about the modern drivers of um, sentiment, of engagement and advocacy, which all contribute to driving momentum in your business results and business outcomes. Yeah, good. Nice to list that. Nice list. Um, So in terms of next week, we're going to be looking at why engagement is the new black. Uh, I think we, uh, over the last couple of years, it's all been about growth and hyper growth. But actually more and more of what I've been reading and also seeing is around the fact that uh, how one pound on engagement is worth 10 pounds on acquisition. So the different mindset that you will want in your team to make that a reality and five steps to mm-hmm. try and achieve an effective uh, engagement strategy. Um, so that's uh, another going to be a another full show, I think, Sam. So um, lots to prepare for, lots of research to do, but um, looking forward to it already. Yes, absolutely. I think we both got to bring our A game to that episode, Chris. So until next week, have a great week across the pond. Well, that's it for this week's show. We hope you enjoyed it. Find more by visiting marketingtransform.com and click on the subscribe link. If you listen via Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud or anything else, then click on follow, subscribe or type Marketing Transformed into search. 
We have new shows, so please leave us a review, comment or ask a question. We'd love to hear from you. Get in touch at marketingtransforms at gmail.com. <laughs>